Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello, welcome to episode number 250 of the ETPHDT podcast with myself and Becca. Hi, Becca, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm also great, thank you. And Anna, how are you? Also great, thanks. What, what a dream great. day. Yeah, what a dream day. I feel I feel a little bit like um a tiny little bit delusional today. Just not delusional, but you know when you're just a little bit, it's like your ear, your brain is just slightly starved of oxygen. So you're just a little <laughs> bit like, oh, I feel a bit like that today. So this could welcome to my world. It's great. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but you know, <laughs> the vibe you give off all of the time. <laughs> kind of like you're floating or going slow motion. Yeah, kind of like that. Like I don't want to like oh, like hold anything fragile or you know anything because I'm scared I'll just randomly drop it that type of vibe must be my hormones this can only be my hormones I've also did I talk about my did I talk about Ratgate last week on the podcast no I don't know we've spoken about it might have been on the podcast you know my brain's not brilliant so well basically I got back from Austin and there was a bird nesting in front of my front door and had laid chicks do you lay chicks laid eggs grow chicks you know the vibe and because they're babies I can't move it so every day I wake up and they've just basically explosive diarrhea on my front door there's nothing I can do about it until they're old enough so in my front door I've got basically just bird crap all over my front door and my front doorstep and in the back there's rats somewhere in our neighborhood and they like to run across my garden and so I had the rat man out earlier this week telling me no they're not coming from your house but they're they are here because we can see it's their poo so then this morning I was like well I've not seen any rats my neighbors have seen them they must not be in my house and then this morning I saw a rat and it's it's been quite oh my god there's a bug that oh just... my god <laughs> is this too much for me to cook I can't maybe you can fly your flight the entire time god I'm so hyper aroused right now but there's there's a rat outside now and it's not moving and I feel like the rat man might have poisoned it and oh. I feel guilty oh I mean I know that was the point of the rat man but now I now I think there's a dead rat outside, and that's like my back door. And so I feel like just housebound. housebound. I'm housebound, except this bug just grew up, flew up on my table. So I am clean. None of these things are because I'm a dirty human being. I promise. It's just I don't know why they've all happened at once. I'm just going You're to... surrounded by chaos right now. So you close your blinds and just get pizza and shut the blinds and yeah. sit on the sofa. That's what I need to do. That's what I will do. Anyway. Moving on from my basic Noah's Ark. It's not like it's like Noah's Ark, except I don't really love the animals. And I've also got this thing where since I did my meditation teacher meditation, major meditation teacher training, where I don't like to kill anything at all, like bed bugs or anything, and I always like to put them outside. Mm-hmm. Now I just feel like I'm a really bad Buddhist. That's what I am. My yeah. mom taught me that when I was young, and now I like I go to great efforts, but I tried to save a bee the other day. And I drowned us by mistake. So 
It wasn't great. Sorry, but how do you go from trying to save a bee to drowning a bee? Where's because the- you have to give them like sugar, you know, when you see them kind of wobbling and they're dying. So if you give them a little bit of like uh, sugar, like Coke, I think, or something, something that's like high in sugar, but it got stuck in the sticky oh. since I tried to give it. So oh. yeah, it wasn't, wasn't great, but I tried. It's all about your intention, right? It's all about your intention, even if there's death involved. I tried. You're right. <laughs> I tried with the rats but alas they're yeah they're gone okay moving on Anna do you want to go first to the questions yes um okay how to move forward when you feel stuck and are used to achieving things if you just work hard enough so this is a client that's in their first few weeks of the process So they're feeling stuck because they're not moving as fast as they'd like. Yeah. And I think used to that achieving, taking things off quantifiable results. Yeah. And that's what makes this work harder, isn't it? Because you don't always see the turnaround or the the reward straight away. And it takes time and it takes, yeah, having patience with yourself and just recognizing that like it's almost the opposite of what you've usually been doing the ticking the boxes the being 100% perfect with things and that's where the that's where you see the progress when you can allow yourself not be in the ticking box perfectionist mindset so it's it's really about flipping what you've been doing on its head um and recognizing too that it's a process like and it's why we ask people to stay for at least 3 months is because all of this takes time and you might not see the benefits for for a little while and practicing accepting that and getting comfortable with that as well yeah I agree I I think in the meantime because like in the meantime if you're like well I, I need to be achieving something I wonder if you could reframe it in the sense of what you're achieving is developing resilience and developing patience and these are things that maybe you have struggled with in the past mm-hmm. and what an amazing outcome of your journey that you become a more patient and resilient person like that's they're great achievements to have and just because you can't tick a box to say I am this resilient now although technically if you really wanted to you could make your own little scale um just because you can't quantify it in that way doesn't mean that you're not making progress so look at how you're look at what you deem as progress if you look at you know maybe you look at Anna and think I want a relationship with food like that and just as an example right do like what do you think like achievements and progress is to Anna do you think it's, you know, hitting numbers on my fitness pal? Do you think it's running a certain amount of week? Do you think it's always achieving at work and doing all these things? Or do you think sometimes Anna feels achievement in like resting or being okay with the fact that she's not going to the gym because she doesn't feel well? Whatever it may be, I think really trying to get to grips with what is achievement and progress for you, because we're so conditioned to think it's all of these external things and all of these quantifiable things. But realistically, when you're trying to heal your soul and your relationship with food and your body usually it's like the the more qualitative stuff that you see progress in I mean I asked this question and then realized that I also had a message from this client just a couple of hours ago to tell me that she'd gone to the shop because she's overtired and was feeling sad and bought chocolate and then sat in her car and recognized what it was she was feeling and it wasn't hunger and the chocolate still sat in her car so if that's not progress then yeah that's mega progress like yeah yes too hard not you sorry 
<laughs> just in case you think I'm celebrating you. <laughs> um, okay, Becca, question. Okay, do you think it is possible to ever fully break the link between food choices and aesthetics? Like, I guess, do you think I will ever get to the stage where I don't choose whether or not to have or how much chocolate or insert other food here because of the effect I think it will have on my weight slash body composition? Yes. It's not even like that we think it's possible. We know it is possible for majority. I'm not going to say all people. I think that's naive. But I think for majority of people, yes, it is absolutely possible. Yeah. It's like that, it's going to take so much time because you spend so long looking at food as something that either makes you lose or gain weight. And when you've labelled food for so long, it is going to take time and, and work to to see it as something else and the more you work on your relationship with your body and your relationship with food the less you're going to associate the two together but it's definitely possible like you said Amelia we know it because we've seen it firsthand people going from you know being terrified of food or being constantly preoccupied by food and having a fear of it to being intuitive and actually wanting to nourish their bodies and seeing food as something that isn't just going to change how they look in some way mm. and I mean we've worked with thousands of people this is not just kind of us saying and I could sit here and say I think one of the first blogs I wrote was about how I spent about an hour debating whether I should eat a nut that was at my dad had put on the table because I was going to compete at some point soon and I was like well if I eat the nut then what will that do to like my diet and then what will that do to my body and then it was obscene and that was when I quit competing for that well for that year I did one more year after that idea anyway regardless um and that like, I could easily sit here and say, well, yes, and, and I don't think about that now at all. But us is just, we are just three people. And genuinely, like I said, we've worked with thousands of people that have felt in this, that same way of having this really clear link. And it comes from, like you said, Becca, working on things like food neutrality. But really, I think one of the most empowering things with this and one of the most um, effective things, methods, to support this is really trying to look at your food from an inclusive rather than a restrictive viewpoint and even when I was bodybuilding and still in you know still going to compete again I would help myself in my off season by thinking about okay well I think I remember it's been like mind muscle macros or whatever I don't know came some up came up with something in my head when I was training one day and I was like I'm channeling this pizza to my legs and like that's a that's a very initial um, headspace because what we don't want to do is to then think about obviously food being re responsible for exercise changes and all that we don't want that clear association either but thinking about what is this food nourishing with me nourishing me or how is this food nourishing me so you're thinking about oh maybe you could learn a little bit about food so what's in your oats that's actually really healthy for you lots of fiber for example or what's in your um, salmon that you have rather than white fish now because you wouldn't have it before because it was more calorific but there's tons of oily, oily, oily fish, omega-3 in there that is helping your body. How is that helping your body? Trying to switch and educate yourself on that, I think is one of the key things, if not the key thing around this relationship. Okay. How to deal with resenting oneself for being so food focused. I know that it isn't helpful, but I really find myself eating very fast and mindlessly or thinking about food a lot. And I'll, Although I know that it takes time, there is a part of me resenting the part of me that still fixates on food so much. Although I'm well fed, not dieting, not weighing myself. 
How can I be more compassionate with myself? Your fault. Like you didn't ask for this. It's not something that you decided, okay, I'm going to have a difficult relationship with food. Um, And we were almost set up like to have this fear or this like strange relationship with food for the want of a better word. Because if you think about like what we're bombarded with and the, the diet talk, the body talk, the constantly needing to want more talk, like that's from a very young age and it's from the get-go it's it's almost like we were set up um so it's not your fault and then yeah the longer you resent yourself and give out to yourself about it the longer you're going to be stuck in the cycle because we know that self-loathing and having a lack of self-compassion fuels all of this stuff so yeah have try to have compassion for yourself and yeah, remind yourself that it's it's not your fault and you can move through this. I think framing it as well as, well, a, a bit like you would with kind of overeating. We Sometimes that is a coping mechanism, a way we protect ourselves from uncomfortable feelings or helping us to, to feel safe or to meet a need and almost framing the food preoccupation in that sense in that we know that often we turn to food and we want to control food because things outside are feeling uncertain out of control unsafe and what if you were to frame it as okay this is this is a coping mechanism I know it's not the most healthful coping mechanism and it's taking up a lot of my headspace and I'm working to change that but it has been serving a purpose for me and doing all of this work with whoever your coach is, is going to get you to where you want to be. But right now, looking at it in, okay, it it's done its job, it served its purpose, but I'm working on more healthful habits instead. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's if, I know some people who listen to the podcast already have this book, um, but the book No Bad Parts about around internal family systems is is really helpful. And I actually use this as an example with somebody that I'm mentoring on a call before this around self-doubt of all of these parts of ourselves that we're so likely to get pissed off about and dislike. If we can look at them in a much more um, open, curious way of almost... IFS is kind of like imagination almost. Like you almost imagine the part of yourself somewhere inside of you and that you might imagine that part to look like your 16 year old self or you know yourself last year whatever Uh, or it might look like a thing like an object who knows anyway if you can imagine that part of yourself and think what like what are you asking for what why do you feel that this is important like what like you said Anna what purpose are you serving me it can be really it's a much more helpful way to move through it rather than just trying to s- shut it down and say, I just don't want to be preoccupied by food anymore. I just don't want it. Because as anything, what we resist persists. And this person is um, a coach. She's very self-aware and she's moving through and she has recognised that link between you know uncertainty and, and controlling her food. And um, it, that awareness is really, really important. But then just being open to, okay, well, how can I meet this need elsewhere? Um, and like you said, just being open to like almost... Can you let yourself be grateful for it, for the time that it's been around and, and served its purpose for you when things felt so uncertain that you couldn't deal with it, that it served a really good purpose, not the most helpful, like you said, but can you almost be like, okay, well, thank you so much for showing up for me in this way. But 
um, I don't need you to to do this anymore and I can find new ways to to manage it yeah and having realistic expectations of yourself as well like if you do end up going back to that coping mechanism recognizing that that's part of the process as well and it just allows you to to move forward with more knowledge and more I suppose resilience as well um because if you don't have those realistic expectations you're continuously going to be frustrated at yourself for not moving faster and not you know being quote-unquote healed already yeah and if you're a high achiever or you're somebody that just had yeah and you're constantly used to getting things quickly because you work so so hard um it can feel difficult because you're like oh this is the one part of my life i'm feeling it but you're not becca question no anna question don't know anybody anybody anyone if it is more beneficial to eat earlier in the day versus eating more of intake later in the day but you're not as hungry in the mornings would it be more beneficial to force yourself to eat a larger meal in the mornings coming from binge eating competitive background? Interesting question. Great question. You are probably hungrier in the evening, probably because you haven't eaten very much earlier in the day. So of course you're going to be hungrier. Um, it's not like hunger is just based on the last two hours and you just are not hungry in the mornings and you're hungry at night. It's based on like the last 24, 48 hours and hormones and all of these other things. Um, I would never force anyone to have breakfast if they don't like eating breakfast, unless, I mean, I know that I force anyone to do anything anyway, but unless you are still recovering from binge eating, then I would always recommend having breakfast. If you struggle with um, super high hunger levels, maybe if you, yeah, if you have high hunger levels, then actually eating earlier in the day can potentially help with that. Um, and of course, there are certain situations where it's helpful, i.e. if you have PCOS, for example, potentially front-loading your calories is helpful for things like insulin sensitivity, etc. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule, and I don't know where you are in your recovery with, with binge eating. Um, but once you're through that, there's no hard and fast rule. I think that because to some degree our hunger hormones um, respond to when we eat so if you're in a regular pattern of eating you'll probably start to get hungry around those times that you usually eat and your ghrelin starts to increase when it expects food so if you're recovered from binge eating you've probably had a regular meal pattern so I'm surprised that that hasn't necessarily happened um I'm not really given a clear answer. I don't think there's a, there isn't a clear answer is the question. Um, but can if you're being super, super honest with yourself, do you think that you are super, super hungry at night and not hungry at all in the, in the morning? Or do you think that's just the cycle that you've got into? And do you have tons of energy in the morning? Do you feel preoccupied by food because you haven't eaten? Um, are you like ignoring certain foods that you might want to eat because you don't eat till later because you know that you're going to eat later? Like I think you have to really work on being mindful of, your motivations to eat in the way that you are Luke. over the years i've developed a keep busy and you won't have time to think about food slash binge eating mentality and the further i get into the process the more i've become aware of how i can sit in silence slash relax and i have a fear that it could slash will lead to um change of eating overeating binge eating patterns 
I'm trying to challenge that more now. If there is any advice for just sitting and not worrying about what could happen, it would be greatly appreciated. I know I've spoken about this before in this sense, but framing it like you do with your training and building up like progressive overload with rest. So at the moment, you're probably thinking, I need to sit on the sofa for half an hour and just sit and be, and that feels really overwhelming. Okay, but can you sit with a cup of tea for five minutes? And okay, does that feel, does that feel good? Does that feel safe? Brilliant. Okay, next week, the aim might be 10 minutes and build it up like that. And not necessarily thinking about just, just sitting and doing nothing. Like think of all the different ways that you can start to rest but building up that evidence gradually that you can do it. And those thoughts, they might be there initially, or they might get, you might get to that kind of uh, sticky point where maybe you've built it up to a certain amount of time and then the thoughts start coming. But no doubt you'll have done a lot of work where you have some tools that if it became really overwhelming, you can work through it and reminding yourself of that. I don't think I have anything else to add either, to be honest. Nailed it. Good. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the thoughts that have been provoked is the general idea above of weight gain when you are already in what would be classified by BMI and society as a healthy body and almost feeling like you need to explain it to others so that they understand why one is on that journey. I would think this has been asked before, but interested in your thoughts. Isn't it sad that we feel that we have to explain our bodies to people as if our bodies are literally anyone else's business, but our own. Like it, it's sad that, and this is not a you problem, whoever's asked this question, that we see this so often where people, they're scared to go to social occasions. So they're like, they, they almost like warn people in advance they've gained weight or they've lost weight or they've changed in some way so because they want to get ahead of the game before anyone else will comment and what I would say is that you feel the need to explain so do you really have to explain or do you feel like you have to explain that you're you've gained a bit of weight because you see an inherent judgment in gaining weight and maybe there's some internalized weight bias that you're experiencing where you're like okay well weight gain is it's not a good thing so I'm going to get ahead of the, ahead of the game and explain it to people so that they don't think that I'm lazy or they don't think that I've given up or they don't think any of the other foul horrible things that people associate with you know being in a larger body which is ultimately weight bias which is not again this is not a you thing this is really quite common it's why internalized weight stigma is um a phrase Right, it's a concept because so many people experience it. So I would probably question that and ask, do you you probably do you really have to explain it or do you feel like you want to explain it like you've said? And if you feel like you want to explain it, why do you feel that it's something that requires justification? Me? Uh, I've been listening to a podcast about menopause and accepting that weight gain is part of growing older. 
It got me thinking about people with disordered eating and how difficult different life stages are for them in particular. I just don't see how I will be able to accept my body, my changing body. It's probably one of the most difficult challenges. Any tips? One thing I would say is that weight gain is not necessarily part of growing older. Um, And I'm not saying that it's bad if you do gain weight. And I'm not saying that it's not difficult, especially when you're perimenopausal, there are certain things that make it slightly more difficult to do healthful habits, perform healthful habits, et cetera, like lack of sleep, like tiredness. Um, And there's a slight shift in body composition in terms of body fat distribution um, when you're perimenopausal. But your metabolism doesn't change significantly. And there was a cool study that came out, I want to say it was earlier this year or the end of last year that looked at you know metabolic rates over time and as people age and there's no significant change especially around perimenopause time um and i don't think it's a very helpful narrative at the same time i think it's super important to have compassion for the fact that um it can, things can feel harder for sure so that is one thing i would just like to start with What was the sec the second part in it accepting? Um, it it got me thinking about people with disordered eating, how difficult different life stages are for them. I just don't see how I'll be able to accept my change body. It's probably one of the most difficult challenges. Do you have any tips? I know this sounds really well it's it sounds rubbish advice and it's not really advice but i think people underestimate how doing this work how little they'll begin to focus on their body and they'll like their body will change but it won't have the impact that they it might have had kind of previously or they think it will have um because our bodies are always going to change but through all of the work that you'll be doing in your coaching you'll find how much less headspace body takes up in general how much joy there is outside of your your food and your body and all of those other things that you can begin to kind of participate wholeheartedly in now because you're not caught up about those things yeah that's such a good point because I think people often think okay the goal is to accept my body right now as it is and like how it looks right now but actually the goal is more so to make it less of a priority or less of a thing that takes up all this headspace like you were saying so I think the expectation can be a little bit skewed at the start and then as they go they see oh actually it's about seeing the value more elsewhere or like having more gratitude elsewhere or filling up my life so that my body isn't this big thing that takes up all this emotion and keeps I don't know keeping me going back to like negative thoughts yeah I think too right you kind of touched on this Anna where often people will start with us in a certain size body right and say a couple of months down the line for some people weight gain comes with improving the relationship with it for some people right but when they've done the work on the relationship with food and their body image their body image is more positive 
in a larger body than it was when they were in a smaller body before doing the work. And I think that 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 is a really key point of that. You think you just have this really clear idea in your head that weight gain negatively impacts your body image because of the stories that you've had in your head for so long and because you haven't really done the work on your body image before and because you've got maybe a negative association with scale weight or weight gain in the past you think okay but I know every time I gain weight I feel negative about myself but that's because you haven't actually done the work on your body image to recognize what a positive body image actually is for a lot of people who come to work with us and probably a lot of people listen to the podcast you've never actually done work on your body image ever you think that going to the gym is improving your body image and to actually to be fair to some degree if you're focusing on strength and maybe um community etc then it might contribute to a more positive body image and you know if you like to go outside there's things obviously that are associated but you've never actively ever done work to support your body image so can you even imagine what will happen to your body image when you actively put effort and intention into it it feels really distant because you've never done it before. So that's probably why you can't see why you'll be able to accept your change in body because you've never actually done any of the work to show yourself what that would even look or feel like. So give yourself some grace and just consider that you're going into something that's totally unknown. And a lot of the time, there's a reason that we share a lot of our clients and what they say, their journeys, because a lot of the time people don't ever believe that they can get to the point that they get to because they've never done that work in the first place. how do you apply the learning around food self self self-soothing etc whilst going through a tough time there's a feeling of pointlessness to looking after oneself and a deliberate diversion from doing what's good for you realistically these things can man like should be married together even more so because you're going through a hard time so you deserve to do more of these things as opposed to fewer of these things. Um, it's kind of like the screw it mentality, right? Of like, well, if some things are not going quote unquote well, then I, then there's no point in doing anything else um, or things feel really hard. So you don't want to do them, which is super understandable. I think it comes from a place of um, self-nourishment and self-care and self-respect, like true self-care, not bubble baths, although it might be. Um I had, a, I had a bubble bath yesterday at 12 o'clock in the afternoon instead of a shower, just because I'm trying to do nice things for myself this week that make my days feel lighter. And I had a really busy day of calls and I was like, I want to sit down in the bath and not stand up in the shower. And I did. And it was great. And it only added an extra 10 minutes onto my day. So, you know, when things feel like you're very busy or things feel harder, you can be more intentional with these things. And let me tell you, it made me feel lighter and it gave me joy for my day. So I don't think that these are a dichotomy. I think these are... If you think to yourself, how can I best, what is my intention? So if, if you're having a hard time, what's my intention? And my intention is to approach this time period with um, compassion towards myself and maybe some form of lightness, even though things feel really like a lot. Okay, well, what actions will serve me best to do that? having a bath at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe. That might be if you've got a spare 10 minutes, maybe that's your thing. Um yeah I, I just don't think that they're they're different yeah it's like when you put all the healthy habits into a box and then you don't do one then you feel like oh I'm just gonna slack off everything because I'm not doing anything right but you can like overeat and then still go and soothe yourself it doesn't have to be 
one or the other or it doesn't all have to be perfect um I like the idea of going for a bath at 12 o'clock in the afternoon oh Um, it was it was it was it was so good and I was like why don't I do this more it doesn't it only takes an extra 10 minutes I can work while the bath is running why don't we do more we're too busy I know Roz sent me um the lush bath bombs they are so nice the lavender one would recommend if you haven't tried oh I almost got a wee lush bath bomb the other day Lewis had me in there to buy some sort of beard wash and I was like you don't need a bath bomb Amelia you don't need a bath bomb now I do need a bath bomb I'm it yeah you do you deserve it I do we all deserve a lush bath bomb sometimes not all the time because those things are expensive I think okay uh is it me it's me is overeating something that you will always have with you i.e like being an alcoholic and therefore something that you will always need to be mindful of is it a battle that some people will always have A bit like the earlier question, I'm going to say majority of people, it's not going to be a battle that you'll always have. I, again, like what we were saying earlier, I think as you do the work to improve your relationship with food, like we'll never say that you'll never overeat again because human, but you might kind of they'll become less frequent drastically less frequent and you'll also have all of the other tools to recognize right okay I'm feeling whatever so I need to do this rather than that go-to be food and obviously I think the worry right now is because it is taking up so much headspace and because it is something that you struggle with frequently um But as you begin to see the progress and as you begin to see the overeating episodes reduce, I think you'll start building that trust in yourself that it's not always going to be something that you struggle with. And it's not always going to be to the extent that you struggle with right now as well. I agree. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head in terms of binge eating disorder, et cetera, but there are statistics out there that... um, highlight that especially if you get support recovery is possible and it's not an addiction alcoholism is an addiction and overeating although may feel like an addiction it's not it's it's a behavioral coping tool self-regulation tool in some way or dysfunctional self-regulation tool so um it's not something you're addicted to therefore it's not something that you go through kind of complete abstinence with and always have that drive to do as long as you're doing the other stuff and I think that's one thing to to say is that if you you will likely want to keep up healthful habits that minimize your risk of overeating just because it's the healthiest way for you to to self-regulate to eat to nourish your body and to support your overall well-being things like eating regularly for example if you have overcome overeating and then you decide to just massively restrict for weeks on end at the same time as not keeping any food in your house that could potentially 
um, have like higher, relatively higher levels of sugar or fat. Um, and also at the same time, you're going through a breakup and you start to do this aggressive diet. The chances of you falling into an overeating cycle are pretty high, um, regardless of if you've been quote unquote recovered from it or not. So for sure, there are certain things that you want to be mindful of, but they're just general overall, you know, well-being things. It's just like if if someone went on a fat loss journey and they said, oh, well, well, I always have to do these things to maintain my fat loss like what like exercise and walk and be mindful of your eating and all of these things you will always have to do them in order to maintain the one your health and two your body composition and overeating is similar in that there will always be things that you will want to be mindful of to support your health me i don't know there any link between social connections and HA recovery? Could it be a type of rest that has an impact on body feeling safe or not? Does loneliness really increase your cortisol levels? No direct link between HA and social connections in that no one's ever researched it. As far as I'm aware, Rebecca, you might know more than me or Anna, you might know. I don't think so. Um. So, but but for sure the potential in terms of um, the stress of loneliness could for sure impact HA recovery. And it's similar to like self-critical talk. We don't often talk about um, the self-critical talk being a major stressor on H- on people recovering from HA. Often people who have HA are quite critical of themselves and, and potentially are often higher achievers etc and are more likely to speak to themselves like crap and, and self-criticism consistently will also increase your physiological stress response which will also then impact your recovery from HA and loneliness is the same um and if you are interested in the loneliness side the Harvard research the Harvard study that looked at loneliness, and I think, I don't know the ins and outs of the statistics of this, and I don't know if you've seen it, but that it's it identified that something like, that loneliness was the biggest predictor of immortality in comparison to every other thing that they looked at, smoking, um, diet, et cetera, et cetera. So it is super, super important. Um, I wish I could remember the statistics, but I cannot, but you can Google Harvard, the Harvard study and about loneliness and it will come up I guarantee yeah they compared it to having a certain amount of cigarettes a day like and that's the level of destruction um but also with this one like if you're lonely and isolated um it's gonna increase your kind of need for coping mechanisms or it's gonna enhance like the the restriction or whatever it is that you're using to cope with your difficult feelings so there would be a link, but not a direct link as well, I would say. Uh, uh, no, Anna. <laughs> how, how to not let work stress affect eating habits? Manage your work stress. It's so easy to do. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> no. Simple. Simple. Do you know what I've been doing? Because um, it, it might shock you guys that I've been feeling a little bit stressed recently, a little bit hyper aroused. Um, and you know when you're just like, oh, this, 
I think it had become like the norm of feeling a little bit stressed, a little bit anxious. And I'm very aware of like how it shows up in my body. But what I've been doing is trying to kind of identify like the thoughts, the feelings that I'm that I have when I'm in that that stressed state. In like I uh, I know Becca mentioned like the urgency bias in like whenever I get a notification, I'll go to that regardless of what I've been doing at work or the should be doing thoughts or the mental to-do list, um that inner urgency. And for me to go, right, okay, this is when I'm feeling stressed, this is when I'm outside of my window of tolerance and taking that as a sign of, right, I need something to bring me back down. So if you can maybe recognise what's going on at work that brings on those feelings of of stress or how stress shows up for you and, okay, I need to go make myself a coffee or go stand by the window if I can't get outside for some fresh air and just think about little things to bring you back down. I feel like this is a therapy session, Anna. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. No, yeah. Yeah, it's so physical. Like when you, we always talk about recognizing how it feels physically as well as emotionally to feel like stressed and to notice it before it gets to the point where you you really feel like you're going to blow. So those subtle signs that you can take yourself away and come back um, rather than pushing through it. Like when you're feeling really dysregulated, that just makes you even more unproductive and even more stuck and stressed mm. so boundaries I don't know what around, you mean I don't know what you mean boundaries around holding yourself accountable to not just pushing through when you know that you do need to take a, even five ten minutes mm. that's the hardest thing to do take the five or ten minutes when you're like but how am I going to get it all done um because your work will be crap if you don't like this yeah. is the thing like honestly if I if I thought if I just kept working all the way through to this point today right say and I had calls all morning and I, I didn't take that 15 minute between calls to stand up stand up and well earlier I was just doing a forward fold and hanging around for there for a while if I didn't take those tiny little moments to do those things I would be on this podcast worse than I am now like I would I, I wouldn't be getting my words out like, it would be crap but, oh, but I got everything done and I was really productive because I kept going. Mm, you did a shabby job on your podcast. You've lost people, like you've lost listeners because you do such a crap job. But, you know, if you can sleep at night saying, you know, I've ticked those boxes. One of the best things you can do for productivity is start to, like you said, start to see in your body like where you start to get distracted. Or if, you, if you're struggling to do that so early on, maybe, then actually being intentional with setting an alarm that says, okay, every 45 minutes, like a Pomodoro technique, every 45 minutes I take five minutes 10 minutes 15 whatever to go outside or to have a drink or to hang upside down on a forward fold whatever it is because ultimately if your goal is to you know in business sense have a good impact um or as much impact as possible etc then you owe it to the people that you're working with to do that and it doesn't even matter if it's in the business sense your colleagues your boss whoever it is um but then also practically make sure you're not doing things like working through lunch or being like, I'm not really that hungry. So I'm just going to have a girl lunch and whatever, like that's insufficient. And if you find yourself overeating later because you work through lunch or you're really mindless when you eat lunch, then change those habits around your food too. How do other people cope with eating for fat loss and cooking with their partners? My partner is a really good cook and also very supportive, but does like to experiment in the kitchen. And this doesn't always align with what I would like to eat to lose fat. 
Another way to phrase it is what coping strategies do people have when they can't be in total control of cooking? I mean, you go two ways about it, really. In If your partner is supportive and you want a meal that's more aligned with your fat loss, okay, can you speak to them and think about like the simple swaps that you can do to help bring the intake for that meal down? Equally, though, if you want to say, well, this is a meal that I really want to enjoy, then look at what you can do earlier in the day to help balance things out. Like it's, it, and that might be, you might do different things each day. That's okay. It doesn't need to be always one thing or always the other thing. Um, but just giving yourself a bit of leeway, I guess, and being open to having those conversations. Yeah. And try not to label like foods as fat loss foods and foods that are not fat loss foods like yes some are going to align more and make it easier for you to stay within let's say calorie range if you're tracking but you can do things like listening to hunger and fullness and not eating beyond fullness things like that when things are that bit more energy dense and you feel like they are going to push you a little bit more beyond you know what your average dinner might be Mm -hmm. Um, and also it's part of health being able to sit down and you know eat with your partner and eat what they're cooking um, and having that freedom is, is going to help you sustain results and you sort of need to be able to do those things if you want to sustain your fat loss goals anyway and you want yeah. to obviously eat with your partner exactly you don't have to eat as much you know like you can just eat slightly less of it and, and allow yourself the flexibility to say okay well maybe there's not 25 grams of protein in that dinner realistically does that matter now and again absolutely not probably doesn't matter a couple of times a week realistically or you eat your protein outside of that so maybe example maybe your partner is vegan and so you have protein for your breakfast your lunch and your supper and then for your dinner you have whatever vegan delicious thing that he's cooked for example right you can make your other your other meals slightly lower in calories you can also reduce the energy density of what he does cook by say he makes a pizza you don't have to eat half the pizza you could eat two slices of pizza and have it with side salad like there's there's this negative like you don't you want to be able to eat socially and, and um eat mindfully and all of these things but also you can also be practical with some things that will support you on a diet and there's this kind of backlash against things like you know increasing food volume and stuff like that but ultimately if you're on a diet it's probably going to be quite helpful for you so just finding a happy medium with that my ex-boyfriend um was a bodybuilder when I was competing and he was 100 and whatever kilos and I was whatever um and we would he would be quote unquote bulking and I'd be prepping and the difference in what we would eat would just be ludicrous I remember one time coming home from work and I was doing cardio on the bike that we had in the living room and he ordered Domino's pizza and I was like I feel like that was some sort of that's not okay anyway it was awful but like whenever we would eat it was important to eat together so I would cook us things that were like that I could eat a bit less of or you know whatever it's not like he cooked anyway because he's no he just didn't cook but anyway it's always doable point being I was just thinking how much I'd enjoy anybody to cook for me so I mean make the most of it I think I know oh dreamy um okay let's do one last question let me isn't it 
(laughs) still don't know okay any tips for tackling poor body image before and during a holiday the weight I've gained often makes me feel inadequate and a bit sad and I'd like to feel confident on the trip There was this reel going around and TikTok going around on everyone's page that was a body positivity type page. And it was like, when you get to the beach and you realize that nobody looks like their pictures or when you get to the beach and realize that nobody's looking at your body or whatever. And these people are always just like on a beach eating food or whatever. I think I saw about 18 million times, not exaggerating at all. Um, But it is actually true. Like when you get on holiday, before you go, you think that your body what you look like in a bikini is going to be super, super important. And when you get on holiday and you realize that nobody's body looks like what you think it's going to look like and everybody's body looks like real bodies of different sizes and shapes and everyone's just having a good time, it, it it's helpful to remember that before you even go away because that is realistically probably, hopefully, what you're going to feel. And someone I used to work with who was a PT herself, um, I, she was worried about this and I was like, well what if you didn't take pictures? What if you weren't going to post pictures on social media of you in a bikini? Like, would you care so much? And she was like, mm, not sure. Because like, you don't have to share any of those pictures. You don't even have to take pictures if you don't want to. You don't want to lose the memories and the experience, but there are plenty of pictures that you could take that that capture, like, capture moments without you being in a bikini, for example. Um, so I think, and, and, and I also think too, like the weight you've gained makes you feel inadequate. That's obviously a body image thing of, you know, your your worth is not related to your body at all. And I'm sure that you're doing this work with Becca in terms of building your self-worth away from your body. And hopefully you can continue to do that work while, like, whilst you're on holiday. Yeah, like thinking about the tools that you have right now that support you, whether that's body appreciations, affirmations affirmations whatever that might be clothes that you feel good in but keeping in mind what you actually want from this holiday and that's going to be the memories the experience the rest the play with whoever it is that you're going away with or by yourself I don't know but keeping what's actually important in mind I did a podcast on seasonal body image and dieting on holidays. So have a listen to this. But one of the studies that I talked about in that podcast, um, so it would have been probably in like May or June this year. Um, one of the studies um, I spoke about looked at, I'm going to just read out because I've got it here. Um, to detect seasonal dieting, we examined the seasonal frequencies of 69 dieting hashtags within a database of 564 million tweets from the states and spanning eight calendar years in total we detected 628 i can't read the number 628 355 000 dieting hashtags 30% occurred in spring 20% during autumn fall 25% during each of summer and winter so spring there were about 64,000 additional dieting hashtags compared with autumn and 32,000 additional hashtags compared with summer and winter um, of the nine most common dieting hashtags that together accounted for 96% of the total, all nine peaked during spring. Um, and, and the point being is that you're not alone when you have the, the fear around 
or notice any changes in your body image around like they're talking about dieting in spring because of that seasonal body image we know that body image tends to plummet for a lot of people during the summer because this is when a lot of bodies are on display and there's you're getting a lot of peer pressure from um, adverts and stuff like that so just be mindful of what you're consuming the media that you're consuming and um yeah that side of things too okay thank you so much thank you both thank you thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review and if you would like to chat to me then you can find details of my instagram in the show notes